This is a show about individual experience and personal identity. There may be times when folks use identifying words or phrases that don't feel right to you. That's part of what we're exploring here. Please listen with an open heart, and as always, I welcome your polite, engaged feedback, and I encourage you to continue the conversation in your own life and with your own community. Welcome to Query. Hey, Queeros, Cami here. Ooh, I have some fun announcements on the podcast today. Number one, today is a re-release of my chat with Casey McQuiston, the massively successful best-selling author of Red, White, and Royal Blue, which is an extremely fun rom-com that I loved to read so much that Casey's follow-up book, is called One Last Stop. You can pre-order it now, and you should, because I have launched a book club. It's called Cammy's Book Club. You go to bookshop.org slash shop slash Cammy's Book Club, and you can buy One Last Stop there to benefit local indie booksellers. Isn't that awesome? It is awesome. Then you read along with me, and join me on Instagram Live for a chat with the author, Casey McQuiston. So we are talking on June 4th at 12 p.m. Pacific. Every month, I'm going to have a book that I recommend and a chat with the author on my Instagram. Why am I doing this? Because I cannot stop reading lately. And I realized I love to read books by queer authors, but I basically only know about them because I live with an editor and I'm in like several book clubs in my private life. And so because of that, I know what is cool and what to read. And otherwise, I absolutely wouldn't. So I thought I really, you know, as somebody who's released a book myself, I know how hard it is to get the word out. And as somebody who's a reader, I know how hard it is to find good queer books. So that is, I'm really excited um, about Cami's Book Club. Go to bookshop.org slash shop slash Cami's Book Club and order one last stop and then join me June 4th, 12 p.m. Pacific on Instagram Live for a chat with Casey McQuiston. Also, live shows. I have two live shows scheduled. One is July 18th here in Los Angeles at Dynasty Typewriter. One is August 26th in New York at the Bell House. Neither of these are even announced. Uh, I think the Bell House show already has 80 tickets sold. I don't even know how those were sold. So go get tickets today. They're going to sell out. You can go to the Bell House. You can go to Dynasty Typewriter. I will also put them on my website, but they're not there yet. Uh, But go to those shows. I can't believe there's going to be shows. COVID protocols are being taken. You can read more on the website of the venue about exactly what we're doing. Anyway, please enjoy today's chat with Casey McQuiston and have a great day. I've been feeling wrong, but I'm still I always have guests introduce themselves. Will you introduce yourself? Yeah, of course. Hi, um, I am Casey McQuiston. I am an author, uh, best known, well, I guess my only book, so I'm only known for (laughs) Red, White, and Royal Blue, um, which is a queer adult rom-com about the first son of the United States and the youngest prince of England. Um, And yeah, excited to be here. Um, This book. Uh, red, white, and royal blue. This this book is like it. It was a massive hit for you. <laughs> oh my god! I mean, yeah. I mean, the response has been incredible and completely for me unexpected. Um, 
I'm like, uh, like this time last year, I was applying for like bar trivia jobs and, you know, (laughs) uh, it's, it's supportive and and wonderful. And uh, yeah, I'm just geeking out constantly about everything about it. (laughs) When, when was it? I I think I just, um, I I would love to hear the timeline of like when you realized it might be, or actually, let me ask this a different way. What were your expectations going into the publication of the book? Like, how did you, how did you think it would do? Or what, how did your, how did your publishers think it would do? Sure. Um, well, my publisher has like gone on the record with like Wall Street Journal magazine being like, we were not expecting any of this, um, which is, you know, it's just every the way everything has worked out has been so funny. Um, for me, I kind of knew going into this, like if it could find its people, it would do well with those people. And to me, those people were like uh, depressed queer millennials who like, really <laughs> <laughs> you know, like if I could find everyone else who's like that, like this same demographic as me, then that will work out. Um, and what I didn't anticipate is this book's people uh, turned out to be a much broader category than I ever expected. Um, you know, I'm from like the deep South. I'm from Southern Louisiana and like my mom's like old biddies, like the, you know, the old ladies down the street in her Bible study have like read my book for a book club, which is mortifying. <laughs> but, um, what but, that, how, wait, yeah. why is that mortifying? Well, it's mortifying because it means my mom has read sex scenes I've written. <laughs> um, and you yeah. know what? Also, I will say I was not prepared. Um, so I, <laughs> I'll I'll say this first of all. I don't know if this even counts as I am on the fence about whether this counts as um reading because I wish we just had different more updated language. I'm I am like an early adopter of Audible. I like got the the like before it was even an app. Like when it was like impossible to figure out how to put the fucking book on your phone. I was listening to books and I just I travel a lot for work and I really find that like sometimes bringing a book with me, I won't end up reading it. But if I like have the book downloaded, I will always listen to it. Like there's always an opportunity. I'm like eating lunch alone in some city or whatever. Like there's always an opportunity to listen. So I listened to Red, White and Royal Blue and um, was not, I actually didn't think that there were going to be sex scenes that were like as, well, I will say, first of all, they could also be like, for my preference, and for um like for it to be like a pervy book like they could oh. be way they could they could also be like way more gratuitous oh, like they're not they're not over the top but they yeah, are no. um they are sex scenes like you might yeah. read in say a book about a, a heterosexual couple like there's yeah. like real sex in this book there's like sex in this book yes. well that was like a very conscious decision that i made like you know, I'm a huge rom-com fan. I've always loved rom-coms. I grew up on rom-coms. Um, and, you know, when I decided I wanted to, like, write rom-coms, I was like, well, I'm definitely not going to write anything straight because I'm not interested in writing that. Uh, don't know her. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but you know, it was a very conscious decision that, like, I feel like um, in mainstream media, like, queer sex is treated as, you know, more, like, lurid or inappropriate or, like scandalous right. and like like straight sex is which is really annoying um and so I was like if I hold that back then I feel like I'm saying I agree with that you know as a queer person which you know feels irresponsible to me um and 
And so, yeah, so it was a very constant decision I made, but I did kind of pull back at the same time because on the other hand, there was the thought of like, everyone I know can read this. Right, right, right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, um, and so, yeah, my mom has read the book and, um, I was like, did you at least skim past the sex scenes? She was like, oh no. She's like, I skimmed some of the political stuff, but I read the book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, but, but no, it's, um, to, to answer your question about like the response, it's been crazy. Um, I am the most exciting part for me has been, I, I've gotten to go on tour um, and I've gotten to go around the country and go to book festivals. And like, like I said, I was, I'm from the deep South. I was raised in like a super conservative Christian environment where it was very like a, a pray the gay way type of mood. Um, and for me, it was like this almost like second adolescence, like an adult adolescence of getting to go be in rooms full of queer people, just being like, you know, like silly and fun and and having a good time and kind of celebrating um, just like hanging out with each other, um, which was really, really cool for me because I feel like I missed out on that when I was like a teen. Um, and yeah, that's honestly like anytime I get to just connect with somebody on that level is like the coolest thing about the whole the whole deal for me. Here's a random thought that I have. Like this is in my mind, this book also did really well with straight women. Is that true? Oh yeah. Yeah, it it has. Um I think that that just like, I the whole time I was listening to it I was just like straight women love this. Like I just could I, that's how I felt, but I and I don't mean it that it's not queer. I just meant it's like it's yeah. so, you know, I don't know how old you are. I think you're younger than me by I'm a, How old are you? 28. Yeah, so you're you're younger than me by a significant enough amount. Like you're 10 years younger than me. And mm-hmm. what was your relationship with Prince William, like being, oh, being in the news, sort of a thing, like Prince William as a poster, not as a man. Yeah. Um, so I, my older sister, I have an older sister who's like eight years older than me. And, um, there we like, go. There we yeah. go. That's, that's how <laughs> yeah. that makes. Okay. Keep going. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Keep going. <laughs> she had like her, um, her like teen people, I think like YM magazine was what it was called at the time. And like Tiger Beat and all of that shit. Oh uh, yes. She YM had- magazine is what it was called. Young and modern. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no, this is amazing. I like I'm so this is great. Yes, keep going. I um I'm not trying to be like that 28-year-old. Like I think it was called YM, but I don't know. <laughs> but but yeah, no, she had her whole collage on her door and it was like Leo DiCaprio in Titanic and which by the way, also um lesbian icon. Um and then that's like, true. Right next, yeah, right next to him was uh Prince William. And, and yeah, I, I looked at that in her bedroom door cause I wanted to be here cause I was eight and she was 16, you know? Um, and, uh, and I, I thought like, you know, when you were, when you were a kid, like that was, it was, it was a uh, Prince William, Prince Harry. And then on the other side of the coin, it was like, uh, Chelsea Clinton and the Bush twins were sort of like, um, when you aren't aware that like, um, their fathers are fucked up. You're like, oh, they're living like the teenage dream of they get pizza delivered to their bedroom and they bowl in the basement and like all of that stuff. And so you grow up kind of like imagining this like escapist teenage world that these kids are living in. Um, like you could be a prince or you could be like the first kid. And I think kind of the grown up version of that fantasy is this book, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think there's like a, f- a few more details that maybe would because you have this access point to this sister who's eight years older, but anybody else who's listening who's like more your age range, you know, I think 
especially with the news of the last couple of weeks, which I want to talk to you about in a second. Oh, um, yeah. I think we almost, because you were saying there's William and Harry, but there really wasn't William and Harry. Um, what, mm-hmm. what happened was that like um, Princess Diana's death was so, yeah. such a monumental news story. Yeah. You know, like it was the, so that happened when I was, I think I was a, I think I was in high school and it was yeah. like, it was a monumental news story, like for, for a year. It was the yeah. the top news story. Um, and then William was very, um, was like very sort of movie star hot when he was younger. Yeah. And then um, Harry really, really wasn't. Like there was a big enough gap age-wise sure. between them that like he really was not on That's anybody's true. radar. And so it's, that was also, also felt like it was really really informed your book in a way that was like just genius because um, I don't think that those two were treated the same at all. And that, and in the book, like there are two princes who are treated really differently um, Mm -hmm. and who also have really different personalities, Um, which that felt like wish fulfillment, right? Like your whole book is, is is wish fulfillment. And, and that was part of it is like that. I think, you know, yeah. even I'm not like some royal watcher, but these are just yeah. people that are vaguely in my age group. And for you too, uh-huh. like for, for both of us, they kind of vaguely yeah. are in our age group. And so, um, yeah, it's, it felt like wish fulfillment to like hear a little bit more about some characters that are in that world. And then also I would say that like on the American side of things, um, what also felt like wish fulfillment is so like Chelsea Clinton and the Bush twins, they are in like a really different category of people because yeah. we, um, you know, the royals I know are like internally criticized and everything, but they're sure. also essentially like a flag. Like it's like right. you just accept that that's what's going on, you know, if right. you live there. It's not like you even like them or don't like them, but it's just like yeah. this is the flag. Whereas uh-huh. here, because we're constantly – um, because because the first kids are tied to election cycles, like those kids are treated yeah. really, really brutally, which also shows yeah. up in your book. And I think is also some wish fulfillment just to see somebody like okay. acknowledging that that's true. Yeah. Well, and I think um, when I when I had the idea of like Alex, like, yeah, I, I was he kind of like sprung out of like the my date with the president's daughter um, type of like 90s uh first kid thing but also it was very much informed by like watching the way that the press treated like the obama girls yeah you know and um and i was like that's you know that was a way more interesting perspective to explore than like the royal side which is why it's like one pov and it's mostly focused in america um and um you know i I, the the sort of genesis of alex's character or just like this first child character that i had was um what if you know um after seeing you know the way that the relationship between the press and the first family has evolved um we had this like millennial first kid who's like in his 20s and they develop a press strategy to kind of get ahead of that cycle right instead of like having him be picked apart he kind of like finds it fun to toy around with tabloids and um you know like use it to his own personal ends that like oh i'm gonna like you ride this wave of publicity into like being in Congress by the time I'm 32, you know? Um, He's also a little older than um, the people that we're used to seeing in the white house. Do you, do you remember because of your age, I'm like, assuming you probably don't. Do you, would you even, how old would you have been? Do you remember how Chelsea Clinton was treated 
like as oh, when I she do. was I do I do I mean it was rough it was it was definitely um I mean like people would like compare her to a dog and then and, and things like that um and you know it was uh, I mean I think I was probably I got let's see I was seven when Bill Clinton was impeached um and so but I I watched the news I watched the but news. you like still even at that age it it impacted you or you were aware of it that's that's yeah, pretty yeah, wild too you know like I yeah. well so again speaking about wish fulfillment I think like for me it regard like no matter how you feel about the Clintons that yeah. human being was yeah. treated mercilessly and then also wanted to go into um the public sphere. Like she also has oh. then decided to enter that right. arena. And again, you know, like I said, just speaking of wish fulfillment, it's like very fun. It's very fun in your book, like having <laughs> that person have a little bit of agency. I guess that's, I guess that's yeah. how the whole thing feels. And like, why I think it's so brilliant is because it just feels like, Oh my God, it's like a, it's just ex- all the stuff that we've been, that we've been wanting. Like it's, yeah. it's just like, ah, oh, everything is yeah. happening that like, I, I, it all, it feels like a, it feels like such a nice um, break from reality. Thank you for this break from reality. (laughs) You're you're so welcome. I mean, honestly, when I was writing it, that's kind of what it was for me because I started writing it in early 2016 and we're like, you know, it's early 2016. We all think we know how 2016 is going to pan out. Or at least I did in my little bubble of like, you know, I talked to my like 12 other leftist friends and we think we know what's going to happen, you know? Um, And then it didn't go that way. And I'm looking at my like 50,000 words I've written so far of this book. And I'm like, what the fuck am I going to do now? Like, I don't know how to write this book anymore because like the original version was like a lot more like, Veep-esque, like, um, sort of, like, imagining it, I was imagining it printing in the world in which we have, like, our first female president in office, and, you know, this is sort of a tongue-in-cheek parallel universe kind of thing, and I'm like, oh, no, this has to be something completely different now. Yeah, so I guess for anybody who hasn't, like, read or listened to it, we should say that what happens in this book is that it's, right, it's the first son falling in love with a prince of England, but also, um, his the first son's mom is the president and um i also think that that is like a really it was just a really smart choice on your part in terms of her character because um i don't think anybody in this book is like morally uh Mm -hmm. what's the totally clean and that's that's fine because that feels like a realistic Pol- setting that feels like yeah. politics. Right. Um, and I, I just thought that was like a very smart um, set of choices too, where it's, yeah. you know, like I, th- I, I think that it, again, to play into like what we would want to see, it's not, it's not the perfect no. person then no. coming in. It's a yeah. bunch of humans. Right, right, right. Uh, I mean, like the character of Ellen, like the president, I had a blast with her because I'm like, you know, what would it take? like what in this version of reality where things are like a little quarter turn away from where we were in 2016, like what would it take for a woman to get elected? Um, And so like, that's why Ellen is like, you know, she's, she's great in a lot of ways, but she's also like a little bit ruthless and she's like not totally above like using her children for her own political ends, you know? Yeah. Uh, 
which is like kind of shitty, but like, you know, kind of realistic. But real. Yeah. <laughs> like that's yeah. literally, that is yeah. the game. Um, yeah. Wow. So how, so you said you've been touring since this book. Is there, how else has your life changed? I mean, what's happening well, for you? It's funny because um, when I say I was touring, um, when I went on tour this summer, it was actually all out of pocket. It was just like, um, it was like, I'm going to like take out a credit card and do this. Um, and so I, I went to, t- I toured in cities where I had friends. I literally couch surfed my way through my entire book tour. Yes. Like, like, yes. I was, Give I us was that like, real information. Yeah, no, man. I was in LA. Um, I was in New York for a week and a half. And I don't think I spent more than two consecutive nights on the same couch. Um, and then I was in LA. I did a huge event at the Rip Bodice, signed for like an hour and a half. Like my, like Taylor Jenkins Reid was my conversation partner. Huge fucking event. And then I went back to my friend's house and slept in a beanbag chair in their living room. You know, <laughs> like, like that um, to me is like, it's sort of, uh, my sister told me it's like the first act of like almost famous or like a rock and roll movie where the band's kind of like sleeping in the van until they can afford a hotel, you know? <laughs> um, yeah. Which, yeah. Which was fun. And it was, uh, I mean, I definitely um, fucked up my back for a few months. But, sure. Uh, yeah. But um, thankfully I don't have to do that anymore. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was zero to 100. Like I, um, I, cause like the whole process of publishing went really fast for me because I, um, from the moment I sent out my first query letter, which is like when you start approaching agents till the moment I, um, like signed my book deal was like three months. Whoa, that is, is fast. Holy shit. It's insane. It's insane. No, people like do that for years. And I think it was like a combo of like having the right team behind me and luck and um, having like a really like timely concept that like that people wanted to like get that out, you know? Um, but yeah, so it was like, um, like zero to 100, like your whole life is going to be different. And also, um, I had been like openly queer with everyone in my life, except for like my mom and my sisters. Um, wow. I sold my book. Yeah. Wow. So, like, yeah. So like I'm out at work. I'm out with my friends. I'm out in every sphere of my life. I'm like dating. I've like dating girls in college, dating girls after college. Like, um, and then it was just like, um, this is going to become a thing. <laughs> like, um, I guess I have to have this conversation now. Um, cause I was kind of hoping to get away with it until it became imperative, you know? Um, I was like, okay, well, eventually I will like meet someone and settle down and then I will <laughs> have this conversation if I have to. Um, but so that was like, yeah, the two years ago I like had to come out to my mom cause I was like, so I wrote this book. Um, and then there's this other part, <laughs> I'll tell you, um, which was kind of, uh, kind of an amazing way to do it. Cause it's like, um, you know, my mom's a social worker. I had rehearsed the conversation so much. It was very business-like. Um, it was very like, yes. Um, and do you have any follow-up questions? Um, yes, actually I do have this question about, <laughs> you know? Um, and so, so like that was a big change in my life. Um, and now it's like, you know, I, I'm on query. So, yeah. Um, yeah. 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 Wait, can I ask you some follow-up questions? Yeah, no, of course. When of you course. say, um, cause you said you were hoping to get away with it. Um, yeah. and then you also were not telling them. So I'm assuming that you like just even using that language and then your decision not to tell them, I'm assuming that you might have wondered how this would go over. Was that yeah. what was going on? You weren't sure 
how this sure. would go yeah. over? Well, like I said, I am from the deep south. Um, I feel like I, I, I bring that up a lot. I, we did just win, LSU just won the Natty, so I am thinking about Louisiana a lot. Um, but, but yeah, um, I, you know, my family has never been like a super um, conservative family, but just down there, there's all of these layers of um, perception and um, what are the neighbors going to think? And um, like, it's going to be weird now, you know, and, and I had this like weird burden on my heart that I felt like I wanted to spare my family the discomfort of that. So I'll just be uncomfortable, you know? Um, and so, yeah, like, I mean, I'm bi. And so I thought like, you know, there's a chance that it won't be like, which is like so silly because like, actually when you think about it, like, and this, these are conversations I've had with my family since it's like, I wasn't being myself with them even though it was like, there's a chance I would end up like in, you know, marrying a man one day. Um, I, you know, I still wasn't, I was hiding like a big part of myself because it's a huge part of my identity. Um, and, uh, and not that I think that anybody is required to come out, but for me, I think it was like really necessary for me to like have honest relationships with my family, you know? Um, and so, yeah, so I was kind of, um, I wasn't sure how it was going to go. Not It's not like I thought I would be, like, disowned or something, but I was just, like, dreading um, changing those relationships, you know, and, and having it be, because, like, my family is, like, we're, like, oh, like, you know, we're the type of no-boundaries family. It's like, okay, I'm going to go take a bath, come sit on the toilet and talk to me while I take a bath, you know? Um, and, and I didn't want like dynamics to change. I didn't want, um, I didn't want anybody to, to treat me any differently. Um, just because they knew something about me that had been true all along. It's not like, you know, um, so it was, it was a hard thing to do, but, um, I'm really glad that I did it. <laughs> and I'm, I'm thankful to this book for forcing me to do it. Um, because I really needed like the push, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Where were you yes. living at the time? I was still living in South Louisiana. Were you living with your family? Yeah, I was actually, I was living with my mom to save up money. So it was very much like a, um, I came home from work. Um, I was like working at, in like local journalism at the time. I came home from work one day and it was like, I woke up that morning with just like this certainty in my stomach of like, oh yeah, it's going to be today. And it was like, almost like I didn't have a choice. It was just like this feeling in my gut of like, it's just going to happen today. And I remember like coming home, my mom was like standing at the stove cooking and I was like, so <laughs> I need to talk to you about something. Um, and it was very like, I mean, I, I came out to my, one of my sisters in a Panera um, I love, uh, I love hearing where people came out to people. I think it's really funny. I came out to one of my sisters on like a, like a, a pedal boat in the middle of a lake, so, like, which I think is a really fun twist on the tradition of coming out in cars, you know? Right, 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 right. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it's funny. And it was funny because like, um, it was one of those things where I felt like, the more time passed, the harder it came, it became because in every other area of my life, everyone knows. And like, it's very much happening in every other area of my life. And it's just like at home, you know, things were different. And the law, like, and I had been like, you know, openly queer since I was 20, you know, and, um, and then here I was, you know, 26. And I felt like they're going to think I've been living a double life and they're going to like be weirded out by me, you know? Um, 
And so it was definitely like, there was that element of it too, you know, of like so much time had passed that I felt like I had been hiding things and, you know, it was wild. So but, that when you say the, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, 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 that's it. When you say the, that you thought they'd be weirded out by you based on the omission of this identity from the relationship yeah. or based on like what you were actually doing with your time. Based on, yeah, based on the omission more than anything. But I do think, like, I also went to, like, a, a deeply, um, like, a evangelical Southern Baptist high school. Um, actually, I went to an evangelical Southern Baptist high school for 13 years. Um, and it was a lot of mandatory chapel services about, um, you know, Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. And so it was, <laughs> there was, you know, there's that little seed of, like, internalized, like, oh, no, in, in there that you're constantly grappling with for the rest of your life, which is fun. Yeah. It, oh, let me tell you, from the future, it is fun. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I am actually, I feel, man, it is wild. I I still hear, so I have a, I have a, a book coming out in March, and yeah. a lot of it is centered on my experience coming out and um, having this extremely conservative Catholic background. And I have, I I have talked to so so many folks, even queer folks are respond to this experience that I had with like almost surprise as this, Mm -hmm. as if this is a thing from the past. Yeah. And I, I really, I really don't, I really don't understand. Um, I think sometimes I don't understand that level of surprise because, okay, so yeah. like, let's just talk about, like, I don't know, I don't know specifically um, who are the leaders of the the Christian communities that where those schools you went to are affiliated, but like for the Pope, for instance, yeah. zero things have changed. Yeah. Like, zero. Like, um, right. And he's oh, the cool Pope. He's the, this is the fucking green new deal Pope or whatever. Who's like <laughs> talking about, uh, like occasionally he talks about like a tortoise, not eating, you know, like a fucking straw in the ocean or whatever the, right. whatever people are giving him credit for, you know, like right. he's so progressive. Yeah. Oh, he has a, you know, he, he, uh, tweets from fucking pontiff or whatever the fuck it's okay (laughs) wow amazing zero things have changed zero like zero policy on on queer folks zero um policy changes uh, regarding women they just hired like a senior vatican official that's a woman for the first time wow congratulations she still can't consecrate mass which means she's actually inherently less than because she can't like turn the um bread into jesus's body only magical men can do that and i just i feel like um you know i and i've said this before on this podcast it's like football teams like strong college football programs like mm-hmm. Notre Dame or Boston College where yeah. I went have like yeah. created enough of a smokescreen <laughs> that oh like God, that like <laughs> listen i that like I, we're, I, don't we don't see this <laughs> oh yeah yeah no well what was fun was i was raised catholic but i went to a baptist school for 13 years so i got the guilt from the catholics and the shame from the baptist oh great yeah it was all piled on. I'm like getting confirmed on the weekends and at school, everybody's telling me I'm going to hell. It was because I'm getting confirmed Catholic. It was so much fun. Oh uh, my God. Yeah. yeah. And well, and this is like, and I graduated high school in 2009. So like, this was like, like in the like mid 2000s, they're telling us like, you're going to hell. Yes. You know? And also 
no policy has changed for for no. these or, for these institutions. So this is still what's happening now. <laughs> like I just, right. I mean, actually, no. in the Catholic Church, you divorce means you're yeah. going to hell. Mm-hmm. Like we're that's where we still are in the Catholic Church. Oh. <laughs> no, my favorite thing was uh, my high school. We weren't allowed to have dances. Um, yes, like you can't dance. You're not allowed to dance. Um, and you're not allowed to drink. But then at church, I was drinking wine in mass. And so that was very bad. Um, it was all, it was all a shit show. But yeah, what, what happens is like now we, you and I are queer adults who like have these nuggets of, um, you know, uh, Jesus hates you inside of us that we have to grapple with every single day. Um, I mean, I have like literally just recently have been talking about this in therapy, which is a fun time for me. Um, and it's something that, you know, when I go back down south for events, it's very much at the forefront of my mind. You know, I'm like doing my like big gay book events, you know, in 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 parts of the country that I'm like, is this going to be chill? And it usually is chill, you know, um, but but it's still something that like it's a mental hurdle that I have to get over. That makes a lot of sense to me. I mean, the, the one thing is my experience has been touring in places like the south that – it's still a select a self-selecting audience that's there often. Exactly, exactly. And so, you know, it's the people that want to hear this message yeah. and that think it's sexy and fine and yeah. and awesome. Um, but you know, yeah. it is it's not for me, it's not just that like Jesus um thought that I was wrong, because eventually what I was able to come to terms with was like Actually, I don't think that dude like really had an opinion on this. And I think his bigger no, exactly. issue was like some other stuff. Um, yeah, exactly. But um, and also like don't necessarily believe he's um, a real true God, but like definitely yeah. think he had some cool shit to say and feel so sure. happy to have the freedom to like read that and go like, wow, what like a smart early podcaster, you know, like or whatever. Um <laughs> <laughs> it's like talking to groups of people about what he believes in and you know yeah. they like have it, it's like like the last supper like honestly a patreon like bonus event or whatever like that feels very true to me you know um but but it is it is that there are and i think this is what you're talking about in terms of the fear it's not like that i i actually think jesus is chill with me no he the is the people is, yeah. who follow yeah, this definitely. guy. Those people are everywhere, and yeah. those people, to me, sometimes can still feel scary because I'm yeah. like, well, what are you like? What are you? What are you gonna do? And even just right. saying interpersonally to someone's face, like, I think you're gonna burn in hell. Like that is actually yeah. an act of violence. Like it, no, conversational violence, but it is. Yeah. Well, and I think, um, you know, what's, what's, what you're kind of saying about, like, you know, doing events in the South, um, I will say, like, part of why I wrote this book with, like, my protagonist and, like, the first family being from Texas um, is because, you know, as somebody from a red state who's, like, you know, leftist, like, queer, you know, gender fluid, doing my own thing kind of person, um, I think that um, I'm really defensive of people who say there aren't people like that in these red states and that these red states are a monolith of like backwards conservatives um, and, and things like that. Um, and, and when I go to these events in Texas, it's like never have I been proved more right because people show up and it's like every type of person you could possibly imagine from like 85 year old grandpas to like 
16 year old, like non-binary queer kids, which are so cool. Um, and, um, you know, when it gets to the point where like, when somebody from the South can not be, can be some like, you know, evolved in their thinking and, and not be indoctrinated by some of like the conservative beliefs on there. They're actually my favorite people in the world because they have the hus- the hospitality and the warmth of Southernness and they can season their food and on all of that stuff <laughs> and uh, without all of the terrible things that come with it. Um, and, and that's what I've, that was kind of what I was trying to inject into this book was like, you know, um, it's not that these red states are monoliths of ignorant people and hateful people. It's that um, a lot of people have been disenfranchised. A lot of people have been written off. A lot of people, you know, are marginalized to the point that their voices aren't heard at all. And they're not spoken to by politicians that are coming through from other states. Um, And, uh, and yeah, so I am just like, I have this chip on my shoulder (laughs) about like people from red states because there's some of like, I mean, Houston is statistically the most diverse city in the country, like more than New York, you know? Right. Yeah. I mean, you can keep that chip. I have no need to take that chip from you because I, um, you know, my experience has been uh, pretty similar actually where, you know, I've, right. So like in terms of stand up, what you're doing, you know, the reason you're like eliciting a laugh is because somebody agrees with you, but also because you're like breaking societal taboos. And so the bigger the taboo is, the bigger the payoff, you know? And so, like, actually one of the worst places to perform in the whole entire fucking world is, like, Manhattan. Because, like, yeah. who gives a shit? Like, literally, who gives a shit about anything I say? Yeah. Everything has already been said. Everything is wild. It, like, it doesn't matter. But um, yeah. places I really like to perform are often uh, places where, like, the the taboo is bigger, so the payoff is um, is really massive and people are jazzed out of their mind to be there so that makes yeah. sense to me that it would be the same you know that would be the same for this book and, and the same in your experience just as a person okay. living there um yeah. oh man there was another thing that you said that i was gonna ask you a question about what was it oh you said you were talking about um did you say gender fluidity you were talking about gender fluidity yes yeah um yeah so this is like um, it's not something I am like as open about as like being queer, being bi, because it's like something that's not as much time to sit with me. It's something that I've only started like exploring, questioning in the last few years. Uh, whereas like uh, being queer is something I was always like, you know, it was on the edge of my awareness, like as long as I can remember, you know. Um, but this has been something more like, oh, like let me put these puzzle pieces together in retrospect and things are making sense. And I think that explains why I kind of like um, am drawn to writing people of all genders. Um, whereas like a lot of like cis women who write romance will mostly write, you know, uh, from like a cis woman perspective. Um, I think I kind of write all over the map um, because like I'm kind of all over the map, you know, um, which is like fun for me (laughs) but yeah and I I think it's something that um is uh you know I'm starting to see more and more of in like literally yesterday um there was like a uh an announcement that was like a a YA uh YA book um with like a trans mask protagonist written by like a trans mask um you know author uh and I think it's really cool I think like perspectives are evolving in in writing which is really exciting and like things that are mainstream published you know Back for another game. 
You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! I suppose I didn't even think about this till right now, but was there ever a draft of this book in your mind where this was uh, f- like a, a lesbian story? Where yeah, these I were think, two um, women? Well, yeah. And I think that's definitely, I mean, like my second book, um, like my book that's coming out next year is about two women. Um, and it's, it's definitely like, you know, sort of a, a mental wheelhouse that I'm a little more acquainted with. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, when I started thinking about this, like I had no concept of what the first kid was going to be. I was like, is this a son? Is this a daughter? I don't know yet. And then I had this idea of this like Prince Charming archetype and like wanting to subvert that because I feel like I've seen that subverted in fiction in so many ways, except for to me, the most obvious one, you know? Um, and so when I knew I wanted to do that character, I was trying to decide between these two stories and I was like, Oh, like if I, if I make them fall in love with each other, it's one story, you know? Um, and so that was kind of how it happened. But I do think like, I mean, I think about, um, you know, how, uh, like if it was like the, the first daughter and the princess, how that would be received differently. And I think a lot of it, like, it wouldn't be the same story. I think that first of all, there's not the pressure of like, like, uh, being in line for the throne, you know, um, which is, you know, fucking archaic and everything, <laughs> but, um, wait, is there all- not? Yeah, so so it is now with like with William's kids. Like I think that they have amended that, so like his daughter is in line for the throne. But if they had had a sister, she would be passed over. But what? Unless but what about the qu- help? Explain the queen. Help. Wait, well, help. Like, What's happening? Sister. What? Your sisters. Yeah. So she, so but, okay. Sorry, but the, there could be a, like a princess character that has a the princess sister. Yes. You could, this story could exist with multiple princesses. Got it. Okay. Just for a second, wanted to make sure I understood who the queen was. Who the fuck is the queen then? The queen. I don't know. Um, But, but anyway, um, so. But it's the, uh, it's the first, it's the first man in the family or in the case of no men, a woman. That's what it is. Yeah. Well, not anymore. Now they've amended it with uh, William's kids. Charlotte is in line for the throne. Um, Wait, but, but anyway. can I ask you a follow-up question on this? But she's oh, not the God. oldest one. Don't talk to you hard because I'm not a royal expert, please. But, okay, all right, all right, all right. What the fuck? Then who is? Oh, then who God. is? I thought so that's what this podcast was. This is not the royal watcher podcast? <laughs> okay, well, we'll take this question offline. Um, yes, what were you going to say? Continue. Um, well, anyway, I do think that, like, um, when you think about how uh, they would be received on like the world stage. Um, I don't think for some reason on like the world stage, it is a lot harder to dismiss queer men and having an affair. Whereas like a lot of times with women, it's like, Oh, what close friends, you know, like we've seen them holding hands in public. 
Um, and, right. and they're just gals being pals, you know? Um, and I feel like, like for the story to unfold the way that it did, it would have unfolded differently with two women. Like, obviously there still would have been an uproar and there still would have been this whole thing. Um, and you know, it's, it's, I'm not saying anybody has it better or worse. I just think it would be a different type of response. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, definitely. I mean, right. So as the, I think sort of also what you're talking about is that, um, I mean, the root of homophobia is misogyny, right? Like there's nothing more disgusting than being a man who behaves like a woman, which is as effeminate, like ticks speech or like receipt is the receiver of sex. Nothing more disgusting than that to in our, in our culture, um, for, for like lesbians or women who date women or anyone in that category, I think that the issues are often a lot more about sexualization and dismissal. Like it's, um, so you're right. First of all, like two women at dinner together is more socially acceptable. So you're right. The the story wouldn't work the same way, but then also the, um, I mean, we think, we we think lesbians are disgusting, but we think lesbians are disgusting and also irrelevant. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So it would have been like, it would have been still a very shitty fallout for them. Would not have been a good time. Uh, it would have just been a different color. Yeah. You know? Yeah, totally. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think in like my second book is um, it's about two women. And um, it is, it was like such a different experience to write because um, all of a sudden I'm writing and I'm like so much more conscious of how I'm writing attraction. Cause I'm like, does this feel male gazy? Does this feel like fetishy? Like, does this feel, you know, does this feel like, how am I allowed to describe boobs? You know, like, like, <laughs> uh, like uh, what did you, what did you find out? How are you allowed to describe boobs? You know, um, well, here's the thing. So my rule of thumb with sex scenes, which you may have picked up on is that um, I don't mention anybody's junk directly during a sex scene. Um, and so I felt like I was kind of off the hook of having to figure out a euphemism for nipples because I had never used nipples before. Right. You know? <laughs> so, um, so I was like, I can kind of write around this the same way I wrote around things last time. Um, so I did, I mean, I, I, I went with breast. I think breast is like breast. But, <laughs> I have to be really careful about how you write it though, because like, okay, so there's no good word. Cause like breast is like it, it's like it sounds like medical clinical clinical like yes yeah and then like boob just sounds ridiculous it's not sexy boobs is ridiculous it's too young you sound like you well, don't you shouldn't be able to write a book no one should right. give this child a book deal she's a child no, yeah no and then like tits oh actually like, I, I don't know this do you use do you use she i she or they doesn't okay. matter um uh, yes but uh but okay, I don't know if I, am I allowed to say tits on here? Yeah, fine. tits I think is like the most rocking option. Like I think tits yeah. is pretty rock and roll. But then yeah. it's also very difficult to figure out um, if that as a like I'm now imagining reading that. Yeah, <laughs> and that's <laughs> tough. It feels very like I sound like a frat pledge. You yeah, know? that's that's what I'm saying. It's got that rock and roll edge. Let yeah. me see those tits. That's got that rock and roll edge, but. <laughs> Yeah, like, so, like, I'm writing, like, these, like, very, like, tender, like, I'm writing, well, not, like, all of them are tender. There's, like, some rock and roll sex scenes in this book, the second book. But um, there's, like, the one towards the end is very tender and very, like, beautiful and romantic. And I'm, like, I can't say tits here. I, I can't do I looked it. down at her tits and I knew I loved her. <laughs> it's just, it's very specific. You're right. It's, yeah. well, I mean, we also don't, 
we have no, um, we also have like nothing, no sexy words for, um, vagina. So like we're, we're unfortunately for you, this is like very difficult. There are no sexy, there are no sexy words. No, like Car- you, I think you just had Carmen Maria Machado on. And yes. She manages to write about like graphic sexual moments between women that is very sexy, even when it's like in a horror context. Right. Um, um, and I'm like, I'm, I'm reading and I'm like, how does she make this work? Like, how did she, like, if I wrote this, I would sound ridiculous, but she can do this. So it's, it's kind of also like knowing like what your voice is and like what's going to sound weird coming from you. You know, like, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Well, I mean, also she's a genius, but, yeah. and, and, and so, and, and, and so are you, and you guys are working in such different genres. Like I think yeah. she's already, she's body horror and yeah. you know, the stuff that she's doing for, she's so, I, she's so fucking smart. It was so God. awesome talking to her and she's like already doing a lot of descriptiony stuff. She's already doing yeah. a lot of like really raw stuff. So then, yeah. For sex to be sexy and raw the way that it like that makes sense too. But then I think it's different if you're trying to transition between like pithy witticisms yeah. and then like trying to yeah. figure out how they go to bed oh, together. God. It's different. Oh, it's, mm, yeah. That's what I mean when I say it's mortifying that my mom reads this. Like I can't decide. Okay. I God, I, my mom can never listen to this episode, but um I can't decide what I'm more nervous about with my second book. Cause like there's sex scenes in it that are definitely obviously written by somebody who's like slept with women, but there's also a scene of like smoking a joint. That's obviously written by somebody who smoked a joint. And she's like, I can't decide. I'm not sure what she will find more scandalizing. Um, and I don't, I like mom, maybe skip this one. <laughs> you know, um, wow. What do I have to, I'm trying to think about my own experience with this. I, the first time my parents ever came to see me do stand up, mm-hmm. I can't remember if I've told this story on the podcast. I think I definitely have. The first time my parents came to see me do stand up, the comic right ahead of me, first of all, my parents were there and his parents were there, this other oh, comic's wow. parents. And they wow. had grown up in um, neighboring neighborhoods, my parents mm-hmm. and his parents, uh, in Chicago, and they were like hitting it off. So then yeah. this comic goes up and he starts talking about shitting in his girlfriend's mouth. Oh, my God. Th- those are his words. <laughs> no. And no. first of all, his parents were smiling ear to ear, uh-uh. never been more proud, which was incredible to see. But then wow. also my parents, um, my parents also saw that. And I think, you know, what I what I have learned over time, because I do have I've not only had my parents in the audience, I have had the parents of people I was dated or was married to. I've had I have had those that that to be dating someone and their parents are in the audience, you know. But what I've learned is like, hey, you know, parents are human beings and you're making your art that speaks in your voice and you just can't overthink it. You just gotta, you gotta create, create a little wall just on that, not between you and this person. (laughs) This is what I've done for myself. This is, I'm not, I'm not giving advice. I'm just speaking. This is what I've done. My experience created a little wall where Uh I know I have just spoken these words and I know that they have sat in the audience, but it is not clear to me that they have heard those words. Yeah. Yeah. No, I like, 
I like to believe that my mom um, just kind of like dissociated her way through mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, every every uh, sexual part of my book. Um, and you know, one day I'll write an like a YA book, and she can read that. You know, yeah, that's not you speaking. That's Alex speaking. Yeah, no, I would never, Mom. I would never. <laughs> oh my god! But um, okay, I'm looking at the time, and I feel like we need to talk about Megxit. Yeah. <laughs> First of all, thank you for keeping me on track. Second of all, <laughs> yes. Yes. This is how we this is how I this reached how out to you. Yeah. Um because I had I had just listened to I just finished the book yeah. the night before. Um yeah. and then then I woke up in the morning and yeah, Harry and Megan had left the royal family. Yeah. And I thought, wow, I am more powerful than I realized. Yeah. No. Um, I mean, you felt that way. Imagine. So like. That's um, right. You wrote the story that then they clearly used as a blueprint. No. Okay. okay, I can't believe you took down the monarchy. How's that feel? Well, um, did not know I had that kind of power. Mm -hmm. Kind of scared to find out. Not sure what to do with it now. Um, But no. So. What was funny is because I started writing this book, Harry and Megan had not even confirmed they were dating yet. Um, I did not know that they were dating when I started writing this book. Um, and a lot of people like asked me, like, was it inspired by them? And I'm like, I fully had no idea. And I finished my first draft, uh, like December of 2017. I went to bed. I woke up the next morning, checked my phone. There's a CNN push notification. Uh, Prince Harry announces his engagement to American actress Meghan Markle. Wow. What the fuck? It was very wow. Like, uh, you shout into the universe, and like then the universe shouts back type of moments. Um, oh my goodness! Really weird. Um, and then like uh, everything that has transpired since then, um, like it's just very on the nose to the point that I'm like, okay, I guess I'm clairvoyant. Like I don't know what else to do with this. <laughs> like because if you were to like, like last year or like in 2018, I'd like for fun, like outlined what a sequel would be. And literally it's like Harry and Megan are going like point by point through my outline. Right. <laughs> and, and it's kind of like the one thing about it, like, I'm so happy for them, like not happy that they had to do this. They were pushed to this point, happy for them to like, be like, yeah, we're going to do whatever the fuck we want. Um, but the one thing that sucks is that um, now if I write, if I ever write that sequel, it's going to be like ripped from the headlines, but actually I just saw the future, you know? <laughs> yeah. You know what? Honestly, I bet Law & Order SVU finds itself in this position all the time. <laughs> that feels 100% true. Yeah. They're like, but, um, you know, first of all, I feel like as a queer from the future, I'm like from your future. Um, <laughs> like I'm just, I'm. I feel like this is a really, I feel... So excited because my response to Harry and Megan, um, I just felt so proud of them. Um, I don't know these people, but I know how hard it has been for me to like draw boundaries uh, with my own family, to assert my own agency as a person, given like the background that I had or the place that I grew up. Um, and to say like, no, I really do know what I'm doing. Like that is so challenging and to watch these people do it. And it creates an international incident really helped me to sort of like right size the, um, what was at stake 
Like in my own life, what is at stake every time I draw a boundary? Um, Mm -hmm. A la writing a sex scene and then wondering if your parents are reading it or whatever, and then just trying to draw the boundary of like, I don't care about this. Like every time I try to draw a boundary like that, for me, it feels like it's like so life and death. Like, I'm like, yeah. I'm going to die from this. Like, it just is the feelings are so big. But the fucking yeah. truth is it will not be the number one international trending news if yeah. I draw this boundary. And for them, it was. And they still fucking yeah. did it. And so I just yeah. looked at that and I was like, wow, I guess maybe like I could be less held back. I guess maybe yeah. I guess maybe everything's going to be OK. Yeah. No, I think like on some subconscious level, maybe less subconscious even. Um, When I was writing my book, it was a lot of, um, I mean, it's like at the end, it turns into kind of a coming out story. And I was like, not out to my family when I wrote that, you know? Um, Like when you talk about wish fulfillment, I think on some level, I was like, um, what if the stakes were as big as they feel to me? You know? Oh my God. I, uh, oh my God. My little, my heart just swelled. My heart just <laughs> swelled. And you know, before you came out, you got to write a scene where a child comes out to their parent. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that was like, those were like some of my favorite and the hardest scenes to write because well, like the scene where Alex comes out to my dad, like I was like super, super close with my dad. My dad died uh, when I was 20, 23 so I wasn't anywhere near being out to him. You know, I was like kind of still, I was still fig- feeling out like um, who, where I even fit into the whole spectrum of things, you know, like, am I just gay? Like what's going on here? Let's not say anything we can't take back yet, you know? Yes. Um, and so I really related to like Henry's experience of, of, you know, having never told his dad and feeling like he probably knew on some level and just didn't care. Um but with like writing Alex coming out to his dad, it was kind of like me imagining how that conversation would have gone for me, you know? Um, and like Alex being like, do you need to have a Catholic moment about it? And, and all of that stuff um, was like, you know, you know, it was really personal to me. Um, but yeah, like, like that's exactly like, we kind of graft our experiences onto like what we see around us. And I, I feel like I took this book and I, I wrote like, yeah, like this feels like the biggest, thing in the world to me what if what was actually the biggest thing in the world you know oh man I feel so I feel so um happy for you that you were (laughs) able to um put that energy somewhere you know I mean I I I really relate to there are things in life that we like like, that we don't get to fix you know there are things Mm -hmm. that just like happened and it wasn't the right time and we don't get to fix it like in our own lives and I just think as an artist I can totally um, relate to the, um, first of all, the desire and then, and then also, you know, the desire to fix it elsewhere. I'm just throwing shit. The desire to fix it elsewhere, you know, to like, to get to see what it would look like. And I don't know, was that, was that healing for you in some way? Yeah, no, it totally was. I mean, I think this whole book is like an act of catharsis on so many levels, which is like kind of ironic because it's like bubblegum pink and like, you know, shiny and colorful and happy. Um, But I think there's like, you can tell there's like a big thread of like, grief, sadness, internal turmoil type of shit going through it, which I think is what makes it resonate with people so much, you know? Yes. Yeah. Like, um, I, I think there's something about that, that like, even though like a lot of broad audiences enjoy it, the people that it means the most to are queer people because I think they it, they feel that too. 
you know. Right. I mean, the other thing that is true that follows like in the tradition of, of rom-coms and now I know is, has some root in your real life is that um, Henry has, the the prince character has lost his dad at yeah. like a, a younger age. And yeah. I think we often think about rom-coms as like a fluffy thing, right? But, yeah. But yeah. Um, I don't know, like Sleepless in Seattle, like when Harry met Sally, yeah. like there's like, there's heartbreak. There's heavy shit. And, and people are um, dealing with a lot. Yeah. Um, I mean the big well, sick, I, like it's like the, like the, the rom-coms that really cut through are actually with, yeah. um, yeah, life and death stakes. So yeah. Yeah. yes, it has yeah. a pink cover, but inside yeah, you're right. There are some bigger stakes. It is like, it is deceptively, uh, like cotton candy packaging. And then, um, it's going to be a fun time. You're going to laugh and it's going to be cute. But like, I think that like the last thing I could ever do would be to write a rom-com that somebody would just describe as cute, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so you've got your next book. When Is there a release date for that? I can't remember no, if I saw that. I don't have a firm date yet. It's kind of far out. Um, but yeah, summer 2021. Um, can I talk about it a little bit? Yeah, we've got just a very short period of time yeah. left. So we'll give us very- that, give us that description that's going to okay, pull us in. Yeah, so basically, um, the basic premise is um, queer Kate and Leopold. Um, so you've got this main character who is, um, she's like a 23-year-old, fifth-year college student. She's completely, like, lost at sea in life, doesn't know what she's doing. Um, and she ends up in New York and moves in with, like, this ragtag band of queers. And, uh, you know, as you do when you're 23. Um, and uh, and she develops this crush on this girl. It's like really hot butch chick with a leather jacket who's like always on her commute what um, yeah, sorry yeah. go ahead keep keep going yeah. i can't um, matt our engineer just pointed directly at me i couldn't <laughs> i couldn't be hotter and yeah, in more I'm leather like, jackets keep going yeah, keep I, going again ripped from the headlines keep, keep going <laughs> oh my god it's so awkward i don't know how to tell you this um but uh yeah so she meets this girl it's like her subway crush um, and, um, through a series of events comes to discover that her subway crush is actually displaced in time from 1970s era New York. Um, and she's like stuck on this train and can't leave the train. <gasps> and so, yeah. And so the protagonist now has to try and figure out how she got stuck and how to get her out. And, um, meanwhile, she's like trying not to fall in love with this girl because the whole point is they're trying to get her back to the seventies. Um, and so oh my it's God. like, it's I'm like obsessed if, with this. It's like if Leopold was lesbians and also like a love letter to like Stonewall era, um, like gay liberation movement. Um, it's like, it's that. Um, and it's about like, yeah, like queer communities of the past and present and what they have to offer each other, what they can, you know, like what they owe to each other, all of that shit. It's, I love this book. Wow. Um, fuck, you know, congrats on... I, I await it with bated breath and I cannot, um, I can't wait to read how you describe me. Um, oh well, um, in this book, you're actually Chinese American. Um, so that's a little different. That's a little different than IRL, but, um, <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, before I send you back into your day, I just wanted to ask you if you wanted to shout out a queero, a person, place, yeah. or thing that, um, makes you feel like you could be who you are today. Yeah. Um, let me think real quick. 
Um, for some reason, the first thing that came to my mind was Oscar Wilde, <laughs> because uh, when I was like 15 um, and I had to do a term paper in English class of my little conservative high school, um, I did a picture of Dorian Gray, which I cannot believe was even allowed because um, that is like the gayest book ever written. Um, and I remember being 15, analyzing the text and being like, this speaks to me on a level that I can't even communicate in this paper. (laughs) Yes. um, But that was like, kind of, I feel like started the the snowball rolling down the hill for me when I was like 15 in English class being a huge nerd. Um, But uh, you know, um, on a more people who are alive level, um, man, I would say um, like, other queer romance authors like, um, you know, Courtney Milan, Rebecca Weatherspoon, um, you know, Kat Sebastian, like queer folks who are writing queer books, like especially queer romance novels. Um, and, you know, it's, it's, it's not an easy thing to break into the mainstream. Um, and, and I feel really honored to have been, you know, you know, alongside them trying to like be the bricks in the road to like let more people in, you know? Awesome. Well, it has been a total pleasure to talk to you and thank you so much. And yeah, keep at it. Can't wait to read the next one. Thank you. One last stop coming summer 2021. Yay.